All right, so we're going to uh, begin reading at James 4.11 today, and we'll go ahead and read down to the end of the chapter. And the title of today's uh, lesson is Self-Sufficiency versus Reality, and it is really that. <laughs> so we're going to be, by the way, yeah, you know, put put on your, your armor here, <laughs> because James hits you hard with this one. Huh? Okay, so but beginning at verse 11, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother... And judges his brother, speaks evil of the law, judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Verse 13, today's lesson. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time, a short time, and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. All righty. Well, James, you know, doesn't, you know, beat around the bush, does he? <laughs> All right. So let's review last week very briefly. I think, you know, we read the verses just to kind of review those. We're commanded not to speak evil of our brother. That's a, that's an imperative. Don't do it. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. Uh, judging our brother is not our responsibility. And the third point, take home point is there only, there's only one lawgiver and judge. And let's leave judgment entirely up to him. Now, that's sometimes not so easy, is it? I mean, what we talked last week a little bit about is it just the brethren within the body or is it in fact people outside that? And ultimately, I think this could extend to the world system too. But we're pretty easily, you know, turned to really criticizing or speaking evil of the world system the way it's manifested. So, uh, let's keep, keep that in mind as we carry ourselves in the new nature that Christ is within us. All right, today's lesson, James 14, 4, 13, and 14 combined here. And these are kind of verses that are very, very connected one to the other. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, let us go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. What I've done here is even though I neglected to erase verse 14, when I combined them, as I really prepared the lesson, I, I, I separated them. So forgive me for that. Hypo here, not getting rid of 14 after 13. So this is verse 13. Let me read it again. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, let us go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. You know, come now, as I looked into this over on the grid, this is kind of Greek jargon for the site attention. Calm down. <laughs> I mean, we might even use that a little bit to get people's attention, right? <laughs> so to get somebody's attention... James just said, come on, guys, <laughs> you know, come on now. You know, you who say today or tomorrow, and what follows after that. I think before we dissect this first, let, let's ponder and reflect on our interpretation a little bit. i got three questions for the class, and let's pause here and discuss this. Should we make no plans? Should we have no goals? <laughs> and finally, is making a profit wrong? Conversation. <laughs> Don't all answer at once here. <laughs> I think we say yes to all those. 
You said yes to all of this? I think they're all good things, but I'm, I mean, they're connected, but go ahead. Later on, he talks about, you know, that you should, but I think they're talking about boasting about stuff in this. They're talking about what? Boasting about Okay, all right. Maybe, maybe, maybe you, you do these things, you know, tentatively. Well, well, if, if, you know, this is what I'm shooting for, this is what I'm hoping for, but, you know, whatever God sends our way is, is good too. I'm going to challenge you a little bit on that. Are plans and goals the same thing? I don't, I think they can be distinguished. You can make a plan for something, but is that a necessarily a goal? It doesn't have to be. You could tentatively let a goal just manifest itself, but not make any plans to. Yeah, I mean, think about the workplace, think about the interactions within your family or something. You have a goal to get somewhere, but yet, what's the plan to get there? So I, I'm kind of separating the two a little bit. They can be related for sure. I think it's about taking the Lord into account. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. That's, <laughs> Bonnie, thank you for bringing us back to the show. This is Sunday stories, if not. <laughs> All right, so how should we interpret the fact that the following verbs in this verse, spend, buy, sell, and make are all in the subjunctive mood? We, we may, you know, subjunctive is probability. You may or you may not. Okay, so this is not a, a first conditional. This is a third. This is right. it may happen, it may not. Right. So but could enter to my loves go to such and such say spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. That doesn't mean it's gonna happen. No. <laughs> but this is a theoretical but I think it has really practical value, doesn't it? Because in the world system everybody's wrapped up in that to some extent, all these three issues, making plans, having goals and making a profit. Yeah, Jim. I think it's a sign of maturity to make plans, have goals, and, uh, you know, expect some things. But, uh, but like Carolyn says, to do it, or Bonnie says, to do it, do it in light of, uh, what you think, depending on God. You know, cause I made plans to retire. You know, when <laughs> I, the before I, when I was working, I made plans and I was going to retire at such and such a date and God had different plans and I thought, okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> so I, I'm not going to push on this, but I mean, Peter had a goal to, uh, plan, a goal to be promoted in his job and he recently has, congrats to you. But yet, he, he didn't plan how to do this. That was up to somebody else, right? right? So I mean, you know, the goals can be very worldly, but the question is Bonnie's brought up. Who's in that plan? <laughs> and who's setting those goals? All right. Any other comments here in terms of the subjective mood? I think Roger hits it on the head. They may or may not occur. Macaulay says this. This verse is a prime example of worldliness. <laughs> worldliness is not revealed by what the person spoken of in this verse does, but rather in what he does not do. He plans and arranges his life without regard to God. Worldliness is living life as though God doesn't exist. Right. And I mean, so isn't, that is worldliness, is it not? Yeah. It, it kind of depends on the priorities that the believer sets in his life. Okay. 
But we live in a real world, don't we? I mean, we, we have an occupation. We have a role in the family. And, you know, God puts a different perspective on that than, in fact, we, the world system does, right? Other comments about that? Uh, okay, so in a sense, I think this verse could reflect the Jewish merchant of old. Okay. Or even, keep in mind, James is directing his epistle to the Jew predominantly, the Jewish believer. And, you know, just an example of that, Matthew 4, 13, 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. <laughs> I mean, that's words of the Lord uh, in a parable, but nevertheless, it gives you an idea that, you know, and you think of the Jewish nation in general. These are very, very, in, you know, ultimately, what's the term I'm looking for? Oh, they're, they're very... They're purposeful. They right, have a the goal to set. And, they they get prosper, and they're they, prosperous, too. They are prosperous. They're very prosperous. Mm-hmm. All right, good. And uh, so, so what's the major shortcoming here? <laughs> I think Bonnie's already answered the question. Matthew 16, 26. What profit is of a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a, mo- a man give in, ex- in exchange for his own soul? I mean... I mean, that's that's very reductionist and very simplistic, but yet mm-hmm. the Lord himself said the world's system is not but, our goal. But isn't it interesting how many people we know that you say, boy, I wish they would change their, their focus is so worldly that they can't see, you know, that, that God has a plan. He has a plan and a purpose for their life, but they, without knowing him and coming to know Christ, they're, they're off, you know, in a different direction. But sometimes I ask myself this very kind of mm-hmm. question to myself. I'm going to ask you for the question. I mean, we're, we all have an intellect, don't we? I mean, we make judgments and decisions. Mm-hmm. The question is, what's the foundation of those decisions? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I think um, this, the end, verse 14 then is, it finishes this two verse theme. Whereas you don't know what will happen tomorrow, the idea of deep plans can be changed, mm-hmm. goals can be not met. And ultimately, there may be no profit, right? Mm-hmm. So tomorrow, we're not certain of, are we? Mm-hmm. But what is your life? It is even a vapor <laughs> that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Well, James, would you quit being so frank about that? <laughs> <laughs> so any thoughts about that verse? We're going to drill down a little bit more in a second here. Well, well life is short. It, it, oh, you know, it, it seems, you know, when you're, when you're young, it seems long. When you're older, it seems short. Getting <laughs> shorter, getting shorter. So it's interesting here to look at this this section of this verse, whereas you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, basically. So know here is uh, epistemi, and the, the, it's you know if I think of know, I think of factual iado, I think of gnosca or epigonosca. Right. But this is a different yeah. word, and it's simply used. Um, you know, in scripture a few times, but it's to become acquainted with. So it's it's not fact, and I'm going to show you an example of that here in this verse of Jude 10, but these speak evil of whatever they do not know. Fact. The idol is fact. And whatever they know naturally or have become acquainted with naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. So back to this first one, you do not know what will happen tomorrow. It's, it's, you know, what you're going to be acquainted with tomorrow. This isn't necessarily fact. It's not Gnosca for sure. Mm-hmm. Experiential yeah. knowledge. There's epigenosa. Yeah. The most 
experiential knowledge, but it's in fact something you're generally just going to be experiencing, but the fact that that is really not known. All right, so for what is your life? Maybe that's something we ought to address personally. So what is our life? What is our life? What makes a world of difference if you come to know Christ? Your life totally changes. Okay, James is writing to believers. Yeah. What's our life, everybody? It's Christ. Christ is our life. You know, in a sense, we make choices, but when we have a foundation of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, our our life is Christ. And yes, the sin nature never changes, and we can kind of justify that. James has talked a lot about that already, hasn't he? But yet, our life is Christ. And I think that, that, that we could really <laughs> read the whole New Testament of the epistles to you. But anyway, in, in Greek, life is the, defined as the state of one who is processed of vitality and animate. As believers, we are placed in Christ, and that's a vital and animate relationship that we have. And the verses that I shared here are really, I think, as good as any. Philippians 1, 20, 21. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and die is gain. Can you say that any better than that? <laughs> And I, I did a preposition study. I must have, it must have been 30 years ago, if I could say, but maybe, maybe a little less uh, dated than that. I looked at prepositions in Christ or in him versus for Christ or for him. It's like 150 to 3 or something. I mean, it's a, so the in him or in Christ is really recapitulated time and time again, mostly in Paul, but also in other places. Yeah, yeah it's kind of a fallacy. We're, we're doing something. I'm doing something for God. That's a, that's a, Deadly trap. <laughs> you can't. It doesn't. You can't. Well, you have to have. You know. You have the to, message of a lot of denominations. No, I know. I know. Yeah, I'm doing something for God. Mm-hmm. I'm giving. I'm giving. You know, I'm giving back. It just it drives me up the wall. Mm-hmm. Every time I hear that, I cringe. Mm-hmm. I owe him. Yeah, I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that produces no rest, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the rest we have is a good place to start, I think. And when we have the peace of God, which is a rest, and ultimately the power of the Holy Spirit in our life ultimately enamorates or animates the life we have in Christ Jesus. All right. Kind of hard to swallow, and it's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Um, so I think with that, how do we versus the unsaved world interpret this and why? Is this fearful for us? No. Surely. But, but we should be mindful of it, though. I think life is short. And, you know. Is the world system not aware of that also? It is. It is. But, the, but they don't have a future. They don't see a future. But how many funerals have you been to where, oh, Sally, she's in a better place? I know, you know, but it's that. You would hear Catholics say that all the time. Well, <laughs> purgatory is. <laughs> Up to the Catholics, right? Purgatory is a better place. No, hell sure is a better holding place, right? No, but I think you know the fact that life is a vapor. We realize, in terms of eternity, that eternity is not definable in terms of its existence from start to finish. So you know, remember, we're founded before the foundations of the world in Christ Jesus. Just 
I think uh, Christians uh, mostly realize that there is nothing in this material world that can really appeal to our spirit that will last. You know, nothing in this world. Not, you know, the world, this material world's universe is going to be all burned up at one time. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's nothing here that really will last that doesn't, and it just doesn't appeal to us. Well, but, but there's kind of a flip side of that, that, that the, the things of this world, we are drawn away many times to the things of this world. We are. The cars, the bright lights, and whatever it is. Mm-hmm. We're, we're drawn away to that. You're hopping to the last verse of this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but we'll, we'll wait on yeah. yeah, but the world system has a lot of appeal. Just think about the things we do that have, have a security blanket there. I mean, how many don't have car insurance or home insurance? I mean, it, 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 well, so why do we have insurance? <laughs> well, some people don't have it because they think God's going to take care of everything. But that, that's the intellect playing into who we are in Christ Jesus. You know, we want to be smart. So we, we, we don't necessarily need to separate our life in Christ from being smart and making good decisions, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can boil this down a number of different ways, but the unsaved world sees their life as limited also, don't they? But they think from dust to dust to a large extent. Or there's an alternative, like my brother, I loved him to death, but he believed he was doing enough good things. He had a life that was representative of a good man doing good deeds, and he didn't be Christianity. But I got reminded of his... Uh, his service, his final uh, going wherever. But um, the pastor was surprised me because Ed was married to a, a woman who had a Catholic background, but I'm not quite sure how that was being manifested in their marriage. But the pastor came up to me. He said, you don't know that your brother didn't come to the Lord right before he died, do you? You know? <laughs> so, you know, being judgmental, and ultimately refers to what we were talking about last week. Now, that's judgmental in kind of a different way. We don't know for sure before someone believes that they haven't heard the gospel and applied it to them. Hey, Bob. Yeah, right. It's just a question, but the verse actually says from James' words that our life is a vapor and appears a little time and vanishes away. It's almost like he's looking at our life as being just what's here now. That's it. Yeah, I think he does refer, don't you think, to the earthly life. I mean, James clearly knows that uh, absent from the body, present with the Lord for the believer, right? Don't you think? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think maybe he's looking at it appears. Yeah, right. A yeah, it appears We exist oh, for yeah. a period of time. The temple exists, that's right. That's good. That's good work. Good end. Mm-hmm. But, but we know it's not. Yeah. But he's not going to say point is we're eternal and our life is with Christ. For sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Good. Good point. He's probably just separating the two. But yeah, he's just probably separating the two and concentrating on you know this this life here on earth right right now. All right, so let's look at some verses that support this. So he said, "I will do then this. I will pull down my bar. I will yeah pull down my barns and build greater, and there I will store all my crops and my goods." And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be married. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have purchased or provided? So, anyway, life can be short, can't it? Yeah. <laughs> 
And that's the way the world looks at it, you know. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we're going to die, you know. So. And, and you can't take it with you, can you? That's right. Other verses that relate to this, Jeb 7, 6, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, I know, boy. First Peter 4, 7. But this, the end of all things, can't tell, but this is, is the can't tell of all things is, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. So that's indicative of some short time period. First John two seventeen. The world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So that's just kind of a soft pillow for a tired head in terms of how this whole appears to be short. But Roy, good point that it is long lasting. All right, we'll start at verse fifteen. Instead, you ought to say, "If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that." Now, I found this verse kind of challenging. So let's see what we can make of it. Instead, you say, "Present active." Infinitive. So present tense, active, you, you ought to say now, it's infinitive, it's, it's, uh, something, it's something you should be doing. Opposes, you say, in verse 13. So, we go back to verse 13, which says, come now you who say. So this is saying, instead you ought to say. So this is kind of balancing out what you're saying, but this is maybe what you ought to say. So that puts it in context. If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Wills and shall live and do are aorist active subjunctive. So that means the Lord might will or he might not will. Let's let's tear that one apart a little bit and see what we have. How should we ter- interpret if here? Is this a... Um, first class conditional where in fact that means more likely since or is this more the subjunctive mood is it usually is interpreted as it might occur it might not Roy what are your thoughts I think it's yeah, subjunctive yeah. well one of the things is this is a potential and we don't know God's will often it's in that environment that we live and I think when the Holy Spirit controls us, we think God's thoughts when we're in harmony with him. And if he doesn't, we think the world's thoughts are our own. I mean, it's just, it's that kind of simplicity. Well, as I spent a little bit of time trying to drill down on this, it's, it's tough to find a text that defines every if and every verse of the Bible. You really have to <laughs> do a lot of work here, but... Uh, it, this really is is tr- a true third class, meaning it may occur, it may not, and so void. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go ahead. But I, but I thought he would have us all live to be conformed and transformed according to his will. Isn't that his will? His ultimate will. Yes. All right. And what does it mean for uh, for the if the Lord wills? What, how, how should we interpret that? Um, well, since we don't know, yeah, we just yeah, have to well, trust God. Well, I'll be back to how long we're, you know, he's talking about the the shortness of life, how long our life is. We don't know how long it is, so mm. it's his will. His, you know, we will live in accordance 
our life will be as long as he, des- as he desires our life to be. Well, one thing we can do is we can balance in the fact that God has prepared for us works that we should walk in. Okay. Right? But what, so what I'm trying to do is turn here a little bit to what the ultimate will of God is. And I, I'm going to try to summarize this in two verses. So in Romans 8.29, we know it well. For whom he foreknew, he also predestinated them to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So one process where all of that is being conformed. In the second one, in earlier or in the chapter 12 of Romans, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So in context, if God wills, we have to be in a position to perceive that. I mean, and ultimately, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think, you know, Constable says this, a study of the use of this conditional clause, if the Lord wills, in the New Testament, makes it clear that we are not to repeat it mechanically right. in connection with every statement of future plans. I know, I know. You, you put it as, as a contingency statement. Yeah. Actually, I've heard people do that. I've been in churches that do that. And here are a couple of examples. First, it's four nineteen. But I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills. <laughs> and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, excuse me, but the power. So Paul's not sure if the Lord wills that or not. Right. Acts 18.21, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, for I will return uh, again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. All right, and a third example, Hebrews 6.3, very simple, and this we will do if God permits. I mean, so I, I think... God, I think the ultimate goal for the believer, his will is to conform us to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ and transform us in our thinking and all of our life to make this new creation we have in Christ Jesus mature and expand and be glorifying to him. But God's specific will, I always kind of make up, do you buy a black Chevy or a white Ford? I mean, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, I guess God could will that, but you know, again, I think we live in a real world, make decisions. And it doesn't necessarily mean that God's will is for us to be up by a, a black Chevy or a white Ford. Yeah, Jim. Well, it's like we said in the beginning of, the, of this message, you know, that uh, we, we should make plans, but we need to be flexible with God's will. Well, the whole world system operates on some some planning, doesn't it? Yes. You can think about that. I mean, in every aspect of life, we plan. I mean, when I got up this morning, I needed to drive the church. I mean, that's a plan. Uh, it wasn't, that wasn't necessarily a goal, but it was also a goal that fit together here. But they don't always fit together. I think our goals could be more distant in nature in terms of what we'd like to achieve. But then what, why do we want to achieve more, either financial means or reputation or whatever? Well, to God's glory, right? I mean, yeah. that's what he calls us to. Yes, like I said before, you know, a, a mature person will make plans to meet those goals but, you know, uh, a godly man will do the same, but with God's will in mind, you know, looking to God for guidance to do but, that. But I just want to remind us all that God's ultimate will is to conform us and transform us, yes. right? I mean, that's his mm-hmm. ultimate will on all of us as believers. But in terms of specific decisions, Paul exemplifies it here. God willing or if the Lord wills and God permits. I mean, that's Hebrews. is not written by Paul, I don't think, but whatever. I mean, this uncertainty about how God wills in our day-to-day lives is always there for us. Sure. 
And you know, we're not zapped by a lightning bolt or some angel doesn't come down to us to make earthly decisions. But we want to make decisions that are to his glory and ultimately mm-hmm. those that are morally acceptable. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. All right. Four sixteen. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It isn't isn't that the world system? Mm-hmm. I mean they may do it passively but yet perceptible by others, but they may be much more proactive in this atmosphere. Boast or rejoice or glory is all the same term. Present active indicative, it's fact that this is the world system the way they operate. And that's that's why James is being critical of his fellow believers here. Right. That they're in fact still acting as if they are saved in terms of their motives. And in your arrogance of saying that boastings is, is what your arrogance is, it's, it's, it's boastings. Um, so the New King James calls it arrogance, but many other versions use boasting. First John 2.16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the pride of life is this arrogance, by the way, is not of the Father, but of the world. There's very few other uses of this term in the New Testament. So the the big three, right? <laughs> lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life yeah. is really an attitude of arrogance. Mm-hmm. All right, possible again. They derive joy from feeling that they controlled their own destiny. Here's the picture of the self-made man or woman, if you will, taking credit for what God has given them. Boasting of this kind is unrealistic. It betrays an attitude that puts man in God's place. For this reason, it is evil. Thoughts about what Constable has to say here. All right, a couple of examples. Psalm 52, 7. Here is the man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his weaknesses. First Corinthians 4, 6, and 7, I, I love this, because uh, it, well, it, remi- it should remind all of us about, about how we can interpret this kind of self-centered approach to life in general. Now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another, and what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did not uh, receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? If you did receive it, why do you boast that you have not received it? So, I mean, it's kind of like God has a blueprint for our life, that we to, to live the life and not ultimately see him playing a role in that to conform us to the image of his son, then I think it's mistaken. But yet the world system honors this type of attitude about boastings or accomplishments. And, you know, I've been privileged to have a wonderful career, but I, I can't dwell on that. I mean, I give it to the Lord. I mean, it was there to what, for whatever reason. It's just, that's history. And I think we all have to give the glory to Him, even though on a day-to-day basis we not be, may, may not be recognized. So, and, Maybe a little bit more conversation now. I think you know, the world, like you said, the world system encourages you to be proud 
you know, be proud of your accomplishments. It rewards you for your accomplishments, you know. Gives you these little medals that are worthless, you know, stuff like that. It's just, but I think it, the fact that maybe even some of these accomplishments are things that were planned or are goals that we've set for ourselves, it may not be profit generating, but they may or may not be. If we put God in that uh-huh. and, and just take ourselves out of that, saying, gee, Lord, you know, I'm working in a place where I feel that I can offer something here. You're, you're putting me here. Let you, by your own timing and grace, show me uh, what's ahead and, and, and give God, God the glory. God the glory, yes. Yeah. I mean, again, we make we have to make intellectual decisions in our day to day lives, mm-hmm. but we don't want to take credit for ourselves for our own glory. That's the self-made man. And that's where the trials come into yeah. <laughs> And we ought to be, and when we need to be thankful for them, don't we? Yeah. To realize that those trials are there to humble us, but also yeah. grow us in grace and truth. Well, it's also that you know God made us, and what do you have that? You do not receive. Right. No, I, know. <laughs> I mean, he's given us all a certain ability. Uh, maybe right. physical, right. maybe intellectual, and maybe, uh, you know, ultimately the gifts of the spirit yeah. in our lives. I mean, that's something we are given as gifts. Mm-hmm. But we don't need to take credit for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just talking to believers here. We're not talking about people in the world. And those gifts can be taken away if we take them wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. You know, all, all the things that God has given me, I'm, I'm thankful for. But I don't take any credit for them. Well, that's that's what Paul's saying in First Corinthians chapter 4. Yeah. What credit should you take if, if you were not, you know, if you if you didn't get them from me? I mean, why are you taking credit? Hey, Mom? Yes. Right, please. I've been wrestling with a passage that is parallel to this that you're talking about. In Numbers, uh, chapter 14, uh, verses of, uh, 12 and 13, God says in verse 12, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them. I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. That's God speaking to Moses. Next verse. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it. For you brought us this people in your might from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants of the land that they heard that you could not bring us into the land. And God replies, I've heard your prayer. I will take heed to what you have prayed. Man, here is a conversation between God and man indicating that God put a test before him, I'll make you a substitute and your descendants go into the land. And Moses wasn't even thinking about himself, was he? He says, but wait a minute, your reputation is on the line here. (laughs) And he pointed out to God something that he knew was true, and God heard him. How intimate that is. And and how willing God is not just to test us, but to listen to us when we pray to do his will. Isn't that something? Yeah, that's special. Well, you know, it makes me think of something else here that's really relevant to each one of us, is that um, ultimately 
this concern that Moses had for the nation of, of Egypt in terms of their perception of God's will ultimately makes me think that what's the perception of us as believers that we can make no no mistake, right? And in other words, if we are found in error or some issue comes up that we in fact do not represent the position of Scripture, ultimately, I think what's what's our role then? I mean, I think. One of the basic truths of what we study here at Holly Hills is the sin nature never changes, does it? So what, how do we respond as believers when we've erred, and particularly to the unsaved world around us? Well, actually, I think confessing it is a, is, is a good approach. I mean, many times, I can't think of a whole lot of cases, but where a believer will confess in publicly, and that actually turns out to be a testimony of his of him being an honest person. Well, you're willing to admit your mistakes... Not you know, fabricate something. So I think it can be a testimony that God is is working in you when you yeah. you say, "Hey, I was exactly. wrong about that." Exactly where I was wrong with that. Yeah, and I think asking someone to forgive you if you in fact have harmed them by words or deed or something else. I mean, and then that's sometimes, as you pointed, opportunity to share the Lord. Exactly. We had a Jewish couple in our home this week from Tuesday through Thursday. And uh, and she's a Jewish changer. She she says the Jewish faith does not like converts. They don't like that term. And she knows some Hebrew, and she went on a detail about <laughs> her view of the world. And I shared. We shared the Lord. We talked for an hour. About this. <laughs> but, but anyway, but there, but but I tried to point out to her that you know Christianity is is all about Christ, but yet we can make mistakes sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea we, we as believers are responsible to. Ask forgiveness and confess when we do this. Not only to the Lord, but to one another. And sometimes the Spirit leads them, but sometimes you don't even recognize what you've done. But that may come back to you later. But I'm just, I think really what he opened up a door to is that we really need to be open to having the world see that we're not perfect in the flesh, but perfect in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and just a thought. When he prayed that prayer, it gave God an excuse to go on with his will the way he wanted it done. Isn't that something? Yes, tremendous example of how God's will wins, <laughs> doesn't it? Mm-hmm. All right, let's conclude there. there. Last verse here in James 4. Therefore, to him who knows to do good, that's this do good, anyway, that's what the scripture says, <laughs> and does not do it to him it is sin. So, typically, James, the last verse of chapters is typically a, a summary of that of that chapter, and that's true here too. Therefore, to him who knows to do good, knows here is eido. So that's a fact of what's mm-hmm. good and bad, and the tense is perfect. It's he, natural he, he to do the as extending circumstances from the point of offense, and does not do it to him. It's sin. So the question is, what's sin? <laughs> we to, to miss the mark. James said something about that. One twenty-three. For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing uh, a, a man observing his natural face in a mirror. Okay, so sin's part of part of the old man. It's the falling short of God's glory, and. Uh, even for the believer, and Romans 7 has a lot to say about that. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So this is Paul under the flesh, and remember, 
Chapter 7 of Romans is so critical in terms of understanding the old man and how he operates. There's Paul, ultimately fully educated in the tradition of Judaism, a Pharisee who knew everything about the Jewish faith, but yet he fell back into ways that he battled within. We all do that, don't we? Day in and day out, between the spirit-led life and the self-led life. So, anyway, isn't this the theme that James is all about? About, you know, James is not questioning our our, uh, faith to believe. We're all saved. Right. But yet, the evidence needs to be apparent to not only you, but to the body around us. So that, that really concludes this chapter. Any, any thoughts as we finish James 4 here? If not, Andrew, could you close us in prayer, please? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, yes, 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 go ahead, please. Uh, if my internet holds up, God willing, well, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this, uh, this morning and this study of James and, and all that your word gives to us, uh, to grow us in the grace and knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ and just uh, pray that we can apply these words about our lives and um, to look to you for um, guidance in our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.